Let's give him a hand. Great, great job, Tiana. Hey, listen, if you just walked in the room or just joined us online, maybe you just showed up late, uh, you're in the right place. We're in a series called Love Songs. That was not worship you just came into. That was, has nothing to do with worship. We'll get to that uh, in a minute. How many of you knew the song, either campus or online? Just shout it out if you know the name of the song. It was in the words, guys. It was in the words. What was it? Listen to your heart. Okay, thank you. Listen to Participatory Day. Okay, I'm going to need you to give me some feedback today. All right, who knows who sang it, though? That's the harder one. Say what? No, no. Who? Roxette. Yes, Roxette. I sang Roxette last week as well. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that in just a minute. I want to take a minute and say hello to our family joining us right now over at the South Campus. All of our family joining online, and a big shout out to those joining us from Upshur County Jail. Come on, North Campus, let's tell them how much we love them. We love you so much. We're so grateful that you're with us today. Like I mentioned to you before, we are in a series called Love Songs, and uh, you know, we like to do a series on relationships this time of year because people are already thinking about love and thinking about relationships. How many of you know this month kind of brings that up? Tomorrow is Single Awareness Day and, um, or Single Celebration Day. I mean, like, look, you don't got to spend money on anything. You don't got to go anywhere. You, could, you get to make your own choices tomorrow, so just celebrate it. Uh, but tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and that's why my wife has me wearing red today. Uh, for Valentine's Day, but because it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, just a little special treat for those who are at our physical locations on your way out. We have a treat for you uh, to pick up, but that's why we talk about relationships this time of year, because it's already on people's mind, and we're probably already not doing it very well, because we've taken, like I mentioned last week, we've taken our cues from the culture. We've taken our ideas of love and marriage and relationships from what the world has told us. And we've seen some broken things because of it. How many of you remember the song last week that we sang? Right? Nobody? Y'all were nobody was here? All right, South Campus. I was there, so I know y'all were there. How many? Anybody remember the song? Shout it out. It's breaking. It's breaking my heart up here. Uh, How do I live? Don't be scared. I know y'all know it. I see you mouthing it. Don't be scared. How do I live? And that song last week we chose was because the song sounds like a worship song. How do I live without you? How can I breathe without you? If you ever go, how would I ever survive? It sounds like we ought to be singing that to God, but we sing it to people. And that is part of the problem is that we put our dependency in other people when it should be in God. And so I want to encourage you, if you missed that, go back and give it a listen. And 
you know, the reason we do these songs is because I want you to see some of the problems with them. Because this is where, again, where we're learning, we're learning our definition of relationships and love and marriage from the culture. Now, based on your response so far this morning, I'm scared to do what I'm about to do next. (laughs) Someone said, don't be scared. Okay, I won't be scared if you will do it, okay? But don't leave me up here. I'm going to sing. I don't even like to sing these songs for you, but you like me to sing these songs. So I'm going to do it, and, and we'll talk about them in a minute. But when I start, please... Somebody, I need one person, I need, I need 10 people to help me out. I heard, a, I heard a pastor say once, look, the more you respond, the better I'll be. I don't know if that's true, but I do know that the more you respond, the more fun it will be, okay? So both campuses online, if you know these songs, please don't leave me hanging. I'm just gonna start out with them, and this is an older one, so see if you know this one, okay? You've lost that love and feeling, thank you. Whoa, I wish I could hear him here at North, I'm proud. You've lost that love and feeling, but what? It's gone. It's gone. I lost it. My feelings are gone. Right, who sings that song? Anybody know? Just shout it out. Righteous Brothers. Come on. Come on. If you don't know who the Righteous Brothers are, you may not know this next one. Um, all right. How about, how about this one? This is a famous one, too. What's love got to do, got to do with it? Everybody knows that one, right? I always want to sing it like Michael Jackson, but that's not who it was. Like, I always want to be like, got to do. Anyway, it's not Michael Jackson. Who sings that song? Shout it out. Tina Turner. What did she go on to say in the next line? What's love but a secondhand emotion, right? Like Mariah Carey said, you got me feeling emotions, all these feelings inside, right? There was a famous duo, a country duo, kind of late 1990s, early 2000s that sang this song. See if you know this one. It's your love. It just does something to Yeah, okay. See, now you know, Vincent. I see him. Sends a shock right through me, right? Who sings it? Anybody just shout? People are still singing it here. Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. And, and what were they singing about love? It's a, it sends a shock right through me. Woo, I want to feel that shock. It reminds me of that song, Grease. Remember that song on Grease, right? Yeah, that's right. I got chills and they're multiplying and I'm losing control. It's electrifying, she said, okay. But this is what we think about love. That it's these feelings, that it's this, ooh, it's this ooey-gooey, it's electric, I get goosebumps, and and we want that, so we chase this feeling, and we're after these feelings constantly, because that's what we've been told that love is. And we're so willing to chase these feelings that we don't even care who we get them from. See, the Backstreet Boys had a song, too, in the 90s, and it said, I don't care who you are, I don't care where you've been, I don't care what you've done, as long as you love me. Like, I don't care about anything, but as long as you love me. And to some degree, we like that because it's like, yeah, I mean, your past should not be held against you. I get that. But if you're going to get married one day, you need to know a little bit about that person before you get married. They could be a crazy person. They could be a stalker. They could have just killed somebody. You don't even know. Like, you need to know some things about them. And I would just talk to people who want to get married one day if you're single. Please have some conversations before marriage about some things like, What are your dreams? What do you think about money? How many kids do you want to have? That's an important thing to know. How are we going to discipline our kids? How are we going to raise our kids? You know, what what do you think about God? What's your relationship with God like? What's your past like? What's your family like? All of those things matter because once you get into marriage, feelings are not enough. They're not enough to sustain you. You know that was a married person saying that. No single people over there like, amen. They're like, well, this feels good. You need 
to know some things before you just rush in. And it made me think about that other song. They say that wise men say only fools rush in, but I just can't help falling in love with you. You can help it. And they're wise men for a reason. Don't rush in. Like, make sure you really know what's going on. But we've just been told this about feelings, and our culture is so feelings-driven. It's just so feelings-driven. In fact, a whole big phrase right now that everybody says is vibe, right? Like, I got a vibe. Like, that person's putting off a vibe. Like, I'm going to put on a vibe for them. I'm vibing on them, right? Good vibes. Like, it's all about feelings. But did you know that you can catch feelings for anybody? You, You can catch feelings for anybody even if you don't know them. I could prove it to you because growing up, you probably had some crushes. Everybody's getting real quiet in here. All right, how, how many of you had a celebrity crush growing up? Just a show of hands. Okay. See, a few people, some of you are afraid to raise you. You're looking at your spouse like, baby, it's only been you. I've never had feelings from Bales, right? Here's the thing about these celebrity crushes. We get feelings for somebody we've never even met. We're falling in love with a persona that's not even real, Right? But we're so driven by these feelings that we chase them and our culture is reinforcing this constant thought that if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. In fact, I've heard a phrase even more recently that people keep saying, and it's, I'll hear they got out of a relationship. What happened? I just wasn't feeling it. They leave their job. What happened? Just wasn't feeling it. So if we're not feeling it, we run from the thing we're not feeling anymore. And that's why I chose the song today, Listen to Your Heart. Because there's a lot of people saying, listen to your heart. Just follow your heart. And I always want to be like, no, 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 no. Don't follow your heart. The Bible has something to say about your heart. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. That's strong. And it is desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? This is what everybody's telling you to listen to. Jesus in Mark 7, 21 says, for from within... Out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, this is a long list, and foolishness. All of these things are what come from the feelings sometimes in your heart. And so the world keeps saying, listen to your heart. And I'm saying, no, don't listen to your heart. Remember this, the scripture we read last week, it says that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. If you listen to your heart the way the culture is telling you to listen to your heart and follow your heart, in the end, its way is death and brokenness. Because your heart can deceive you, your heart can trick you, your feelings can change, and they're fleeting. I like to say it this way, that feelings are a good gauge, but a bad guide. They're a good gauge to tell you how you're doing, right? You're going to have feelings. You're going to have emotions, and that's normal. And they're, and they're a good gauge to say, what's going on? But they're a bad navigation system. They're a bad guide to say, oh, because I feel this, I ought to go this direction, right? Just think about it in your car. Your car has gauges, and some people, most people now, they have some sort of navigation system on their phone, right, or, or in their car. The gauge is an indicator of how you're doing. So you can look at the gauge in your car and you can be like, okay, well, my oil's getting low or the engine's getting hot or the check engine light comes on and that's an indicator that something is not going right on the inside. And I know some of you don't even know this, but you have a gas gauge in your car. (laughs) And it will tell you when you're about to run out of gas. Here's looking at you, babe. Here's looking at you. I'm just kidding. She knows. She can tell me the exact number every time, but she just doesn't care if it's zero. Uh, but that, 
that's indicator that says if something doesn't change quickly, you're going to end up in a bad place. That's what feelings are. But when we use them as a guide, when we get angry, we make rash decisions, and we wish we wouldn't do that. We can get excited, and we can rush into something, and then later we can chart that de- destination in and make the decision on that. And they're like, ooh, how did I end up here? I really don't want to be here. Well, you made a decision based on your feelings. And I've seen so many people making life-altering, life-changing decisions lately based on their feelings. On relationships and jobs and all kinds of things. They just, they feel it and they make a decision on it. But the problem with that is, is if you make a decision based on a feeling, when your feelings change, then the decision has to change. So, if you listen to your heart, let me tell you a few things that happens. One, you'll chase your feelings from relationship to relationship. Because once it doesn't feel good here, I'm going to go somewhere else to try to find those feelings. You'll pursue personal gain over the gain of the relationship that you're in. Friendship, whatever, you plug it in. Because it doesn't feel good. You'll, you'll expect sacrifice, but you won't give sacrifice. You'll prioritize your feelings over faith. Because I can't see it, I don't know where we're headed, but this is how I feel, so I'm going to jump out of this. And you'll feel like life is one big emotional roller coaster. Just up and down and up and down. And you were not meant to live on this emotional roller coaster. And that's why I think so many relationships aren't working today. Is because we've been told that love is a feeling. And if, as long as you don't feel it anymore, then it's not love anymore. This is a distorted view of love. It's actually toxic love. And it's self-serving. Because it's all about you. This is not the biblical definition of love. In fact, the, the Bible has four different words that are used for love. And I'm going to share them with you actually in order of how many times they're mentioned. The lowest one is eros. And it's where we get our English word erotic. It's a sensual love. It is the lowest form of love. It's not even mentioned that much in scripture. Then there's stergo, which is a familial love or family love, like parents to kids and siblings and things like that. That's a family style of love. Then there's phileo love, right? This is a mutual love, right? You probably heard some of these before. This is a brotherly love, if you will, and that's why we get the word Philadelphia from this. And Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. And as a Cowboys fan, I don't think that's true because I've seen their fans. doesn't feel very brotherly. Uh, but, but that's what phileo means. That's where that came from. But the, but the one used the most in Scripture is the word agape. And probably if you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard this word agape. And this is not based on what you can get. It's sacrificial by nature. In fact, I heard this definition recently, and I liked it about agape. It says, it's an intentional, unconditional form of love that chooses to do something regardless of the cost or consequences to one's self. It's intentional. It's unconditional. It chooses to do something regardless of the cost to yourself. Man, this is a vastly different type of love than we hear in the world, right? This is a vastly different type of love than than most people are telling you to love like. And this is exactly what the Bible is always doing, by the way. It's always calling us to a higher form of love. It's always calling us to leave the lowest form of things that we're being taught and raise ourselves to a higher level of things through the power of God living inside of us. The agape type of love is the highest form of love. That's why Jesus said this in John 13, 34, He says, now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other, agape each other. That is what that word is. In fact, all the words I read today in scripture that are love, you can just replace with the word agape. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Wow, that's strong. 
This is how you know, by the way, love is not a feeling. Because Jesus said it's a commandment. You can't command a feeling. I wish I could. I wish I could just command you, hey, be happy, and you're happy. Be sad, and you get sad. Be angry. I, don't, I wouldn't say that. You know, I could say some things that would get you angry probably, but I, but I can't command a feeling. And I really wish I could because I live in a house with four females. And I wish I could command a feeling. Like, Stop being sad. Stop being emotional. But it doesn't work that way. You can't command it, right? But you can command love according to this, which tells us that love is a choice that we make every day. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. And one of the most famous scriptures or passages on love in the Bible, all of you probably have read or maybe need to read, we all should read, is 1 Corinthians 13. It's actually called the love chapter. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on this. But all of these words are agape words when he says love. And really, 1 Corinthians 13 ought to be the guide for us, the navigation system that tells us this is the destination of where we're headed. This is the decisions that we're trying to make. This is what we're going to use as a guide in our life. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says love is patient. Just listen to the words. Kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. That's difficult. It keeps no record of being wrong. That's more difficult. It does not rejoice in injustice, but it rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful. Some of you need to hear that today. It's always hopeful. There's still hope. And it endures through every circumstance. The next verse goes on to say, love never fails, or love endures forever. This is a vastly different definition of love than we're getting from culture. Because culture tells you that love is selfish. You got to listen to your heart. You got to do you. You do you, boo-boo. You follow whatever you want. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Well, it can be that bad, actually. So, so this is the opposite of a selfish kind of love. And I'll just tell you, married people, you know this to be true. Nothing teaches you how selfish you are like marriage. We're all inherently selfish people, by the way. If you don't think you're selfish inherently, you just got a blind spot, okay? Because we're all selfish. When you get married, you realize how selfish you actually are. Because in the beginning, the things that really didn't bother you start to bother you a little bit more. Like, you know, when you were dating or first married and she would eat off your plate, that didn't bother you. But now you're like, that's my food. That's not your food. We go through the drive-thru, you order some fries. No problem if you have a few at the beginning. But later it's like, order your own fries. You know, like you start realizing how selfish you really are, right? That, especially when it comes to money. Like, you know, when you get married, it's like, hey, I didn't, where are you spending that on? Like, that's my money. No, no, it's our money now. <laughs> that's my time. No, no, it's our time now, right? You don't realize how selfish you really are till you get married because we've been learning about love in a way that tells you it's all about what makes you happy. And if you read 1 Corinthians 13, here's something profound about that is that none of those are dependent upon what the other person does. It doesn't say, if they are doing this, then you love like this. It just says this is the command to love like this. It's only dependent upon what we do. And I promise you, you will either never or rarely feel like loving this way. If you wait to feel patient, you won't. If you wait to feel like forgiving, you won't. If you wait to feel like we're going to go through some difficult things together, you won't. 
because you don't feel that love. It is a choice you make. So when you don't feel it, you have to choose it. And there's this passage in Colossians that I think paints this so beautifully. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, he's speaking to followers of Jesus, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with what? With compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, I mean, the highest priority over all of these, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In other words, when you put on love, all of those things kind of come together. You start to do those other things. The language of this is so beautiful to me. Clothe yourself. Put it on. This is is the language of choice, not feeling. Because I have to make a choice to put on something. Every day I get up and I put on clothes, right? I don't leave my house with no clothes on, right? Every day you got to put on something. It's just saying, put on love, put on humility, put on compassion. These are choices that we must make when we don't feel it. And I was laying in bed the other night at about midnight. I could not sleep. I was thinking about this passage And that word, clothe yourself or put on, just kept going over and over in my mind. And I was reminded, just laying there in bed, of John 13, when Jesus was uh, at the Last Supper with his disciples. And he was about to go to the cross. This is the Passover meal. He's He's having the Last Supper. And the Bible says that after the supper, it says he stood up. And he took off his outer garments and he put on a towel And he began to wash their feet. And I was like, man, this is a powerful picture here of Colossians 3. He chose to take off his outer garments. And in the same way, we got to learn to take off our flesh, take off our desires, take off what we want. And he put on the towel of a servant. He put on the lowest position of humility. And he got down and he washed their feet. This is the picture of love. This is the picture of servanthood that wasn't dependent upon what they did because he was washing the feet of even the person who would betray him. This is the picture to me in Colossians 3 is that we have to make the choice to take off what we want sometimes and put on love and humility and compassion. And the picture here of Jesus was that he was a servant that was clothing himself with humility in that moment. All of these things hinge on humility, by the way. You cannot have pride in love like this. And there's a lot of people that are in broken places in their relationship. And if they were to look back at the decisions they've made, they were based in pride. I like to say it this way. Pride kills relationships, but humility heals relationships. If if you're in a place of brokenness in a friendship, in a marriage, in a relationship, you can look back and I guarantee you, you can see moments where pride was there and that's why you're in the place you're in. But when you are humble, when you humble yourself, You can bring healing. You can bring restoration. Remember the scripture that says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble? Listen, if you're married, your spouse will resist pride in your life, but they will give grace when they see humility. They will give grace over and over again when there is humility. Without humility, you lose your ability to love like this. And maybe you found yourself in a place even today where you're like, you know what, I'm not just not not feeling it. The fire's gone out. You know, like I'm just... I'm in a place of brokenness. I don't really know what to do. When you find yourself in that place of feeling loveless, 
or you sense that your love is drifting. There's a great passage on this in Revelation where there are seven letters to seven churches. And one of them in Revelation is the church of Ephesus, which is known as the loveless church. And so Jesus is, is, is saying this to them through John, and he's saying in Revelation, he's saying, look, I've got this thing against you, Revelation 2, 4. They, they've been doing a lot of good things. They've been working really hard, but he said, look, I, this I have against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. And he gives them a template of what to do. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Remember, repent, and do the works you did at first. Now, this is talking about our relationship with Jesus. And he's saying, you, you've lost your love for me. You've lost that love. So here's what you got to do. You got to remember. Remember what? Remember what it was like in the beginning. Remember his goodness. Remember his faithfulness. Remember what he saved you out of. Remember what it was like when you first gave your life to Jesus. And if you're not there anymore, repent. Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for letting my heart drift. I'm sorry for choosing other things above you. I'm sorry for not being humble. And then he says, do what? Do the first works. What were the things you did when you first got saved? You were always in your word. You were always worshiping God. You were always praying. You couldn't wait to tell everybody about him. You, you, you couldn't wait till the doors of the church opened. You were being in life groups. You were like, I'm going to be where people are. I'm going to serve. And if you find yourself in a place where your love has grown cold, this is what Jesus is saying to do. But remember, our relationship with Jesus is a mirror picture of marriage. That's what the scripture talks about, is that marriage is designed to teach us about our relationship with Jesus. And so if you're married, it's the same. If you find yourself in your marriage relationship at a place where you just don't feel that fire anymore, where you feel like the love has grown cold, it's the same. Remember, remember what it was like. Why did you marry them in the first place? Why did you get together with them in the first place? What were the things you loved about them? Remember the good things about them. And then repent. This is where the humility has to come in. Hey, I'm sorry that I haven't been working on this. I'm sorry for the moments that I was prideful. I'm sorry that I let my heart drift. That takes humility. But it, it's what allows the door to be open to the fire again. And then he says, do the works. Do the works. What were the works you did when you first got married? What were the works you did when you first got with them? You were dating them, right? You, you were always pursuing them. You were writing them notes. You'd call them in the middle of the day and be like, say, girl, I just called. To say, right, I love you, you know. Right, somebody, thank you, Stevie Wonder. Uh, That's not in the message today. But you were doing the works. And that's why you were feeling some of those feelings, because you were doing the works. Go back and do the things you used to do at the beginning, you know, at the beginning of your relationship, at the beginning of your marriage. Some of y'all were like Wesley from The Princess Bride. Have you ever seen The Princess Bride? There was this buttercup is the princess, and there's this farm boy named Wesley. He was always trying to prove his love to her. And she'd be like, farm boy, come here. And he would just be like, you know, he'd like run over there. Probably not like that. But she'd say, fetch me that pail. And it's like right here in front of her face. And he'd be like, as you wish. And he was saying, I loved you. He was constantly serving her, right? Some of y'all were like that at the beginning. And now she's like, could you give me a glass of water? Get up and get it yourself. Well, y'all are laughing because you said it, right? At the beginning... At the beginning, she'd be real hungry. Like, you know what I'm feeling like? We'd just love to have some Whataburger. You're like, girl, I got you. I'll be right back. You'd get in your car. You'd drive to Whataburger. You'd come back with some Whataburger. Yeah. Now she's like, I'm a little bit hungry. I'd love to have some Whataburger. You're like, why don't you make a burger for me? You know, like, <laughs> less laughs on that one because it hit home maybe. I don't know. But it's the work you did at the beginning 
that brings that fire back? Is there anything in your life that you can quit working on and it gets better? Is there any area of your life that you can be lazy in and it gets better? No. Just like your job. You don't show up to your job and do nothing for months on end and then the boss shows up and be like, you know, we've been watching you lately and you've been doing nothing. So we're going to give you a promotion and a raise. It's not how it works. You can't just say, well, I'm going to get in shape. I want to build some muscle. So you go to the gym every day and just take selfies in the mirror. I know that's what you think happens to people because that's what social media is full of. But no, you got to do the work. You, you got to lift weights. You got to do the work. You got to run. You got to do the things. You got to do the work it takes to get what you want. It, it's like if I built a garden in my backyard, I went out and dug it all up and I created these rows and I planted everything and I, and I was like, all right. And then I walk away and a year later be like, where's the fruit? But I never went back to the garden. No, you got to till it up. You got to water. You got to keep working on it. Love is work. Your relationship is the same. You can't just abandon it and go wonder why it's not working anymore. It's not working because you quit working. Love is work. Do the works. And I'm just, look, I know everybody's in a different place in their life. And as seasons change, you have to work with that. My wife and I, when we first got married, we, we didn't realize how free we actually were. Like we had no kids. We had less responsibility. Now we have three kids and they're, they're getting, you know, getting older. And now we're pastors of a church. That wasn't the case then. So there's just responsibility and kids. And, and it gets a little bit more difficult, but it takes some more intentionality. We have to schedule them out. Like, okay, in two weeks, we're going to go on a date at this night. You know, like, you know, there's still some spontaneity. But I'm saying we got to do the work to plan and to make sure that we're working on our relationship. And you hear people say things like, well, I just fell out of love. If you fell out of love, that means you probably fell into love. And I tell people, don't fall in love. Choose to be in love. Because you fall in by feelings, you'll fall out by feelings. It is work. And I just feel like today for somebody, the word is remember, repent, and do the works. Go back to what you did at the beginning. The feelings come, but we're not driven by the feelings. There are feelings associated with love. And that's why I like to say it this way, to feel what love feels... You have to do what love does, even when it's hard. Because we all want the feelings of love. There are feelings associated with love, but love itself is not a feeling. So in order to get those, you got to do what love does. you got to do the work. The reality is, is that actions lead and feelings follow. Actions lead, feelings follow. We've been told feelings lead, and then eventually actions will follow. No, no, no. Actions lead. You'll never feel like doing some of the work. Right, men, you know that you're not going to ever feel like just taking out the trash. You know, y'all are never going to feel like doing the dishes. You're never going to feel like doing that work. But if you continue to do them, you will feel the emotions that are associated with love. But don't listen to the culture tell you, let your feelings lead you. Because eventually the actions will catch up. That's not true. Do the actions first. So we have to, resu- we have to reject the culture's definition of love. That it's simply um, butterflies and emotions and goosebumps. Because this is a childish way of thinking. It's, ch- it's just, it's immature. And Paul, at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, after he's painted this powerful, challenging, beautiful picture of love, he says in verse 11, look, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Maybe this is, this is puppy love that the world teaches you and the culture teaches you. This is a childish way of thinking. But he's saying it's time to mature. 
It's time to grow up. It's time to realize that love is not a feeling, it's an action. You gotta put those ideas behind you and realize it's not about what you get out of it, it's about what you put into it. It's a selfless kind of love. And I know people say, and to some degree this is right, I know people say, look, you're gonna get out of it what you put into it. And that's true to a degree, but it's still the wrong motive because it still puts the motive on what I get, not on what I give regardless of what I get. And that agape kind of love is a selfless love that's not giving to get, but just giving to give. And in that train of mind that we've been taught about, you know, you get into it what you put out, you, uh, you get out of it what you put into it, it creates this, if we're not careful, it creates this competition style of love to where I'm going to give to this level as long as you keep giving to this level. I'll do these works if you'll do these works as well. This is in every relationship, by the way. This is not just marriage. Because what, then what happens is, is it becomes a transactional business relationship. And at some point, somebody's going to start losing because you start keeping score. And when you feel like you're given more than they're given, then you're like, I'm out. This isn't fair. So giving to get is the wrong kind of love. It is simply giving to give. And when you start keeping score like that, someone's going to lose. And when that person feels shorted or taken advantage of, then they follow their feelings right out of the relationship. Most of the love songs that I hear and I use in these series, they're actually not telling you what to do. I hope you catch that. They're telling you the wrong things to do. But there is one song I heard recently that, from a secular artist that had this line that I thought was really powerful. It was from Adele. And she said, to be loved and love at the highest count means to lose all the things I can't live without. Let it be known that I will choose to lose. It's a sacrifice. Wow, that's powerful. Let it be known that I know that love is a sacrifice, that it means that I have to choose to lose some things I thought I couldn't live without, but I'm choosing it because I know that's what love does. It's a sacrifice. I'm choosing to love you even if I lose some of the things I thought before I couldn't live without. This is the essence of agape love. That love is giving someone what they need, not what they deserve. That's challenging. But how many of you know this is exactly how God has loved us? He didn't didn't give us what we deserve. None of us deserve to be loved like he loves us. How many times have you failed God? How many times has he brought it up against you? How many times have have you said you were going to do something and you didn't do it? A lot. How many times have you deserved his love? How many times was he patient with you? How many times was he kind? How many times did he forgive you? How many times? Right? Why? Because he's giving us what we need, not what we deserve. And I was thinking about just God's love for us. And because he loved us so much, he sent Jesus, who stepped out of heaven, stepped out of his divinity onto this earth in humility. He took off his divinity and he put on humility. He clothed himself with humility and he washed us. And he continues to wash us. He continues to serve us when we don't deserve it, but because we need it. That's the motivation there is that God loved us in this way. Therefore, we can love others this way. First John four nineteen says it this way. We love because he first loved us. 
He went first. He didn't say, here's a great way to love. No, I'm going to do it first so you know how to do it. And then you can love this way. God is love. And we can't love others without his love in us. We can't love others unless we daily choose to clothe ourselves, take off our pride, take off our selfishness, take off our hidden agendas and put on humility, put on kindness, put on compassion, put on love. If you want to see relationships in your life work, you've got to put on love. Listen, quit listening to your heart. Listen to the word. Listen to the word's definition of love. Only the person who is love can define love to you. And that is what we saw today, is what God defines love as. Amen? I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, if you would, just to stand with me. And I'm going to invite my wife, Tandra, to join me. And if you're with your spouse, I want you to get close to them, hold them by the hand, put your arm around them. And I know when you hear a message like this, it can be challenging. I mean, it's not a feel-good message, but I promise you it will result in better things in your life and all of your friendships and your relationships and your marriage if you choose to love this way. And I felt like there were some people who needed to hear this today as well, that maybe you feel like you've been giving. I've been giving. I've been sacrificing. I've been loving this way. There's nothing happening. I feel like I'm alone in this. And I just felt like I was supposed to encourage you today. God sees you. Keep giving. Keep serving. Keep loving. Keep clothing yourself with humility. Galatians 6, 9 says that if you don't give up, don't grow weary. You will reap a harvest in due season. And if that's where you are today, the Lord wants to speak to you and say, don't quit. Don't bail. Keep serving in love and it will happen you'll start to see the fruit of that amen come on let's pray together god we thank you that your word is what defines love to us god i just pray today that you'd give each and every one of us god a a greater understanding of your love for us so we can love others this way lord i pray god for those where the fire has grown dim where the love has grown cold. First in our relationship with you, God, I pray you would stir that up today, that you would stoke the embers of our heart, God. And we would go and take and put into practice what we heard today of remembering, repenting, God, and doing the first works. But I pray, God, for the fire in relationships to be stoked today, God. I pray for every marriage, Lord, at the sound of my voice that's on the brink, the people that have thought about giving up, that throwing in the towel, where they've been listening to the culture definition of love. They've been listening to even people tell them, hey, girl, if you don't feel it, go ahead and go. No, I pray, God, that they would listen to the word today and say, no, I'm staying in. I'm committed. I'm going to serve. I'm going to love whether I get anything out of this. I'm going to keep being filled with God's love and flow out of that to other people, God. I pray that hope would come into people today. Your word said, even what we read today, is that love never gives up. It always hopes. And I pray for hope today. I pray for strength today. I pray for every broken relationship and marriage to be mended in the name of Jesus. As we submit them to you, God, and we start listening to your word, I pray you would heal our relationships. And let us emerge as a people, God, who the world looks to to say, how are you doing this? We can say, this is how you love. Let us be the example, God, the light, the city on a hill. And let this be a testimony of your love for us for generations to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We wanna come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.